Our scripture reading for the communion meditation this morning is out of Ephesians chapter 3, verses 18 through 19. That you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you are a very, very big God and you have done a very, very big work for us. Lord God, now I just humbly come before you and ask that you would help us to know that which passes knowledge. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As you may have noticed, the catechism readings in our order of worship have been about the atonement. As we are corporately learning about the atonement from the Heidelberg Catechism, and as this is a communion meditation in which we are preparing to celebrate the atonement, I thought that this would be an appropriate time to discuss briefly what the atonement is. Now, in my studies, I found that there were many, many different views of the atonement, and many of these views uh, focus on specific aspects of what the atonement is, but do not necessarily do justice to the full width and breadth, the length and depth and height of what the atonement is. As I studied, what struck me was just how big a thing the atonement really is, how big a thing it is that Christ did for us. So if you allow me, I would like to offer you just a little slice of a very big thing. There are many aspects of the atonement that we can focus to, to, um, to look at, to focus our attention on, but I chose five. They are the aspects of Christ's work as sacrifice, as propitiation, as paying the just penalty for sin, as renewing our relationship with God, and as victory. So jumping in, Christ's work on the cross was a sacrifice. Scripture makes it clear that without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission of sins. The Old Testament blood offerings, as we are aware, foreshadowed Christ's sacrifice on the cross. The sacrificial, sacrificial system was also God's way of renewing the covenant. Christ's sacrifice, however, was the final sacrifice, the ultimate atonement and the seal of the new covenant. Christ says in Mark 14, as he instituted the Lord's Supper, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Ephesians 5 tells us that Christ gave himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. So the atonement is Christ's sacrifice for us on our behalf. He shed his blood for us. Now, most of us here are probably not as familiar as the original New Testament audience was with the sight, the smell, and the feel of blood. And it is not my design to gross anyone out this morning by offering a vivid picture of what Christ suffered for us, but I just do not want us to forget that Christ shed his blood 
for us. He was whipped with leather and bits of bones. He had thorns pressed into his skull. Spikes pierced his palms and his feet. And his a spear was thrust into his side. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, bled for you. So then the atonement is a sacrifice, the shedding of blood. The atonement is also propitiation. In 1 John 14, 4, 10, we learn that because of the Father's love for us, He sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now the term of propitiation just means the appeasing of God's just and burning wrath. God, because of His nature, has a calculated, settled opposition to all things that oppose Him, and He is righteously angry with our sin. Christ, we are told, bore the full brunt of that anger and appeased God's wrath on our behalf. Now, some modern scholars have attempted to downplay this concept, claiming that wrath is not a valid attribute of God. However, this is to do Christ's work a disservice. For, as we learned from last week's catechism question, that no mere creature can sustain the burden of God's eternal wrath against sin and redeem others from it. Think about this for just a moment, that God's eternal wrath against sin is so great that it is completely impossible, completely and totally impossible for any mere creature to sustain its entire burden. Now, I tried here offering an analogy of what I thought that might be like for a mere creature, one of us, to sustain the full burden of God's wrath. But I'm sorry, my mind simply cannot comprehend the full, terrible, burning anger of God settling on me, a mere creature. And in fact, it is so terrible a thought that it makes me physically ill and drives me to my knees, crying to God, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Only Christ, the Son of God, could have done that for us, and He did. He did it for you and for me. For we all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. So, the atonement is propitiation. The atonement also pays the just penalty for sin. As we know, the wages of sin is death. What we are owed by God for our sin is death. And Christ's death on our behalf provided the just payment for that sin. In Romans 5, Paul explains that Christ died for the ungodly and that we are justified by His blood so that God might be, quote, just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. You see, it would be unjust of God not to punish sin. But he is justified in not punishing our sin because he punished Christ on our behalf. 
for the unregenerate, unregenerate, God punishes sin with eternal death and separation from God in hell. For the redeemed, God punished Christ. Now we have this terminology of Christ bearing the just punishment of our sins, and while that is true, I think that often um, just using that language can kind of uh, not make it personal for us, can kind of um, make it impersonal in our minds. Christ was punished for you. As his physical body was perishing on the cross, Christ cried out with a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Christ was separated from God the Father, the Father whom he loved on our behalf. Any view of the atonement that does not take this seriously makes light of our sin and makes light of what Christ really did for us. So, Christ paid the just penalty for our sin. And because Christ did so, we are now redeemed and restored to God. First Peter tells us that Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Christ's work was not only a sacrifice, it not only appeases God's just wrath, it not only pays the just penalty for sin and justifies us before God, it also reconciles us to God and makes possible a right relationship with Him. The prophet Isaiah says this, But your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden His face from Him. I'm sorry, have hidden, and for your sins he has hidden his face from you, so that he will not hear. Praise God that now, through faith in Christ, when God the Father looks upon us, he no longer sees our sin, he does not see our iniquities, he sees Christ's righteousness lived on our behalf. Praise God. Ephesians says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to Himself, that is God the Father, according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise and glory of His grace, by which we are made accepted in the beloved, that is Christ. Finally, in his work of atonement, Christ's death on the cross, and specifically his resurrection, served as a victory blow against Satan and death itself. Christ triumphed over sin and death in the resurrection, so that all who trust in him are raised to new life. Christ's death... Resurrection and ascension reminds us that this present world is not all there is. Soon we will live with and enjoy God forever in the new heavens and the new earth where we will 
we will be fully and forever freed from all sin. Praise God. So in conclusion, I hope that I have, in this short, very short period of time, given you a slightly fuller picture of what the atonement is. There are other aspects, of course, but in these last few minutes, moments, we have seen the atonement as a sacrifice. We have seen that it is the propitiation of God's just wrath, that it has paid the penalty for sin, that Christ has renewed our relationship with God and has won victory over sin and death. And as we prepare to come to the table now, let us glory in the width and the breadth and the length and the depth and the height of Christ's work for us, that we may know the love of Christ which passes knowledge and that we may be filled with the fullness of God. Let us pray. Father God, we are small and you are big. There is no way that we could have done anything to save ourselves. As we come to the table, we open our hearts to you, to you Lord God, and I ask that you would fill us with your fullness that we would be focused on you, that we would revel in glory of what your Son has done on our behalf. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.